0: There were many issues in the worship service in the church of Corinth. Things were out of control. And in our text, Paul is concerned that there are those who are participating in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. In some ways, none of us are worthy. From one viewpoint, there's not a single person in here who's worthy to take communion. However, we are worthy because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He makes us worthy.
1: Hello again and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. If you've been searching for a place to be spiritually fed, you have found it. Like you, we believe the Holy Bible contains the spiritual nourishment we need to become faithful servants God requires to help grow His kingdom here on earth. This program is part of an outreach ministry from Shepherd Church located in Los Angeles, California. Our teaching pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with today's message. I want you to uh, take your Bibles and turn
0: to First Corinthians chapter ten and eleven. First Corinthians chapter ten and eleven. We are preaching through the book of First Corinthians. We come to these two chapters, and uh, if you look inside your bulletin, there's a sermon outline. I want to speak to you on this subject: worthy and unworthy. Whenever I tell someone I'm a pastor, they always ask me two questions. Always two questions. Question number one is, what is the name of your church? And there's a little line there in your notes. I want you to go ahead and just go ahead, just go ahead, go ahead, write down the name of our church. Write it down. Write down Shepherd. Most people don't know how to spell Shepherd, but I want you to do the best you can. You write down Shepherd. Go ahead, write it down, write it down. Now, our website is ShepherdChurch.com, okay, ShepherdChurch.com, and uh, just in case you ever uh, need to know that. Second question they always ask me is this, what kind of church do you pastor? Now, I know exactly what they're asking. They want to know, is it a Presbyterian church? Is it a Methodist church? Is it a Catholic church? Is it a charismatic church? Is it an evangelical church? Is it a four-square church? Is it a Pentecostal church? Is it a Baptist church? Is it a Southern Baptist church? What, when they say what kind, they want to know what denomination it is. The answer, write this down, I always tell them, it is a Christian church, okay? In other words, we belong to Christ. This is not a Presbyterian church. It's not a Methodist church. It's not a charismatic church, four-square church. It is a Christian church. And what I mean by that, the last three letters, I-A-N, I-A-N, refer back to Christ. Just like on this wall it says Californians, you're all Californians, the last three letters, I-A-N, point back to you're from California. If you're from California, you're a Californian. And if you belong to Christ, you are a Christian. And so this is a Christian church. You need to know that. Someone says what, what church do you go to? I go to a Christian church. It means uh that we have, you know, uh most churches have a state headquarters or a regional headquarters or a national headquarters or a world headquarters and there's a board and what decisions they make on those boards filter down to all the churches that belong to that particular denomination. What I'm telling you is this. We're an independent Christian church that we don't have a state headquarter. We don't have a... There's no regional headquarters. There's no national board or world board telling us we are governed uh, simply. I, I, I tell you what we do have. We do have a heavenly headquarter. We have heavenly headquarters, And... Uh, uh, we, we get our directives from the Word of God. It's a church that's based on the Word of God. And the thing that sets this church apart, I believe, from, from many churches, not all, but from many churches, is that this church, Shepherd Church, we pattern ourselves after the church in the New Testament. We, we study the church in the New Testament, and we pattern ourselves after that church. Is every, are, you, are you with me on this? Okay now uh, we have this little slogan and you don't need to memorize it but it says this we speak where the bible speaks and we're silent where the bible is silent and in all things love So it's just a little slogan it's not it's not in the bible we just kind of made it up that's pretty good isn't it one of the most important and unique elements of a christian church as found in the New Testament and found in our church is the centrality and the importance of communion and the weekly observance of communion. We know that communion was central to the church in the New Testament because from a couple of different passages, here's one, I'm going to put them on the screen. The first one in your notes, I want you to write this down, In the book of Acts, right when the church begins, the first day of the church, the very first day, there were 3,000 people who stepped forward, gave their life to Christ, and were baptized. Those 3,000 people, it's in the text, in Acts 2, verse 42, that they devoted themselves to four things. Number one was to the apostles' teaching. Number two was to fellowship. Number three, I want you to write that down, was the Bible calls it the breaking of bread or communion, and number four was to praying. And because we are a Christian church that patterns ourselves after the church that's found in the Bible, guess what? We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to communion, and to praying. Here's the second verse in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says uh, that on the first day of the week that we came together uh, for the purpose of taking communion or breaking bread, we know that the first church that once Jesus Christ arose from the dead uh the resurrection that took place on sunday that became the main day each week where the church gathered and when they gathered we know this for a fact that they always participated whenever they met they participated in what's called communion or the lord's supper and so communion is that time each week and the reason i say each week and i want you to get this it's what separates this church from a lot of churches some churches only do communion once a month Some churches only do communion once a quarter. Some churches only have communion twice a year. Some churches take it once a year. Some churches don't even take communion, but here at Shepherd, when you come to this church, because we're a New Testament church, Christian church, pattern of the Bible, we take communion every single week, every time we get together. And communion is that time each week in every service where we gather together to focus on what Jesus Christ did for us on that. Cross? Do you have that? You got that. You think you could explain that to somebody? Okay. When you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11, it shifts to a section of scriptures that is five chapters long. It's almost a third of the book. And in these five chapters, Paul deals with things that are happening in their worship service. And there's one word that describes the worship services in the church at Corinth. I want you to write this word down. It's the word chaotic. There were many issues in the worship service in the church of Corinth. Things were out of control. We don't have time to look at all of them because I'm only looking at one of these things today. One of those issues that he deals with in these five chapters is communion. And in our text, Paul is concerned that there are those who are participating in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And the reason, let me say this to you, in some ways, none of us are worthy. From one viewpoint, there's not a single person in here who's worthy to take communion. However, we are worthy because of what jesus christ did for us on the cross he makes us worthy but paul's concern his concern and you need to the reason we're doing all this is we're gonna we're gonna serve communion here in a little bit so i hope you're paying attention his concern is that there were people who were taking the communion in an unworthy manner i want you to look in the bible at chapter 11 i want you to look at verse 27. It says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That if you take communion in an unworthy manner, that you're actually drinking judgment upon yourself. So, what I want to do is I want to read through this text. I love this sermon. You know why? Because it preaches itself. You don't even need a preacher. You just kind of read it and it just preaches. So I hope you have your Bibles. I want you to look at verse 17. We're going to read two verses here as we begin. Paul says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your church services do more harm than good. Well, that's not a very nice thing to say he says in verse 18 in the first place okay this is his first pet peeve the thing that's bothering him i hear that when you come together as a church that there are divisions among you and to some extent i believe it i want you to write this down whenever you take communion first of all there should be unity in the church communion is an individual thing in that In just a few moments you yourself are gonna hold a little piece of bread and a cup of juice you yourself individually you're going to participate today but not only are you participating individually we are also participating corporately because as a church we're all gonna take communion together so it is an individual thing but it's also a corporate thing And over and over in the Bible, we read that the church is supposed to be united, united in its purpose, united in its doctrine, united in its care for one another. The Bible says when one person hurts, that we should all hurt. When one person rejoices, we should all rejoice. If you think about it, we're also united because we've all benefited from what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross jesus forgave us of all of our sins jesus washed all of our sins away did jesus provide salvation just for you or did he provide salvation for everyone which is it for everyone and doesn't it make sense that if jesus died for all of us so that we could all go to heaven where we will live for all of eternity together isn't it kind of silly that we can't get along here now in the church isn't that just a little silly and in reality we're making mockery of communion because what you're doing is you're saying when you hold these emblems you're going to say lord thank you for loving me and thank you for forgiving me and lord i so appreciate the fact that you have redeemed me and that you have saved me god thank you for forgiving me for all of my sins But that old so-and-so over there i can't stand that guy over there what in the world is old sister susie doing if you've seen her and what she's been up to i tell you that guy over there he makes me sick to my stomach but lord thank you for forgiving me for all of my sins the bible talks about before you give an offering before you put a dime in the offering plate and you have something against a brother That you and your brother are to go work out that disagreement and then you come and offer your gift. And in the same way, you should not be participating in communion. If you're fighting with someone here today, you need to make amends with that person because in just a few moments, we're going to participate together and we're going to think about what Christ did for us on that cross. I want you to write this word down or words, the word potluck. That's the context of of what you're reading here. I'm going to explain this to you. First, I want to make sure, how many of you know what a potluck dinner is? It's one of the things that I don't like about a large church, because we can't do potlucks. You can't do a potluck for 10,000 people. Okay. In smaller churches in the Midwest, sometimes they do them, some churches do them every week. Once a month, it was like, you know, the third Sunday of every month, we're going to have potluck. And what it is everybody brings a dish of food. You bring your best dish. I bring my best dish. We put it on a big table and we get in line. And then we go through the line and you just fill your plate. It's called a potluck. And the church in Corinth, they didn't have big buildings like this, okay? You got to have your mindset and understand they met in houses, people's houses, and they had potlucks. They fed everybody. And then they, then they serve communion. Now with that in mind, I want you to read what the Bible says, starting with verse 20. Here's what was going on. Paul says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you're eating. Verse 21, For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains Hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you don't you people have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and you now watch this? And humiliate those who have nothing. You're humiliating the poor who couldn't bring food to the potluck. They could come to the potluck, but they didn't have anything to fix because they were poor. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? And then he says, Certainly not. And what was happening was this: they brought all the food, the couple poor people there who couldn't bring any food, and all the people who brought food just jumped in the front of the line. And they ate they, they ate all the enchiladas. Uh and, and they ran over to the dessert table where they had the chocolate and they ate all the cake. Poor person was just being polite. They didn't bring any food. They thought they'd wait in the line and wait everyone else. And by the time the poor person came to the line, the food was all gone. And the wine, someone drank all the wine. And Paul says, That's, you're you're, you're humiliating the the poor people that are there. And it's an embarrassment to the church because, now now think about it. I'm going to give you some words. Just tell me if this is true or not. The church should be united. The church should be full of harmony. The church should be uh, filled with holiness. The church should be filled with people who are willing to sacrifice themselves for someone else. There should be humility. There should be encouragement where we encourage one another. And there's this thing called fellowship and love. Love should be abounding in the church. But in the church at Corinth, there was disunity and drunkenness and selfishness, and haughtiness, and pride, and immaturity, and bickering. And I will tell you this, that one of the most important things in any church is the unity in the church, because once the church is divided, I don't care what the, you you can have the perfect doctrine. Hey, we have the Bible, it's the doctrine. But if you're divided, no one wants to hear what you have to say. If you can't get along with each other, what good is your doctrine? And no one's going to pay attention to what you say if you can't practice love with one another. Number two, write this down. Not only should there be unity before you take communion, there should be thanksgiving. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord, which I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, everyone say the Lord Jesus. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread And before he did anything, in verse 24, the first thing that he did was he gave thanks. And then he broke the bread. And he shared it with those around the table. He took the bread. Before he ever broke it, before he ever served it, the first thing that he did was he gave thanks Communion is something that should warm your soul. There should be some spirit of gratitude within you that overflows out of you. As you think that what Christ did on that cross, that he did it for you, you should be grateful about that don't turn to it but over in the previous chapter in chapter 10 verse 16 it's actually called a cup of thanksgiving is the name of it it's called they call it a cup you know we call it communion uh, chapter 10 calls it a cup of thanksgiving and here's the deal you hold the piece of bread in your hand and you hold the cup of juice in your hand your hands should almost be shaking because Of the sacredness of what you're doing your heart should be overflowing with Thanksgiving because you realize as you take that bread and you drink that juice that he died for you that you see that you you should have been the one who should have been hanging on that cross you're the one who should have had the nails driven through your hands and you should have had the nails driven through your feet and you should have been the one whose spear was thrust into your side and you realize that Jesus came along and said, hey, 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 you step aside, I will die for you. You know, let me go through this for you. I'm, I'm going to do this for you. you. You can go free. I'm going to die for you. And when you hold your the communion in your hands, you're thinking that Jesus Christ, he died for me. number 3 there should be a remembrance what the bible calls a remembrance verse 24 it says and when he had given thanks he broke it and then he said this is my what my, my body which is for you. And he's saying that when you take that little piece of bread, and it's just a little tiny piece of cracker. You couldn't get it any thinner if you had a laser beam. But he says when you hold in your hand that little piece of bread and you take it, You should take it in remembrance, remembering that Jesus Christ gave up His body for you.
1: It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. Four seven seven seven. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach.
2: We live in the most distracted culture in the history of the world. We see about 10,000 messages every day. We even touch our phones about 2,000 times a day. We're literally being overwhelmed with information. That's why there's no better time than right now for Dudley Rutherford's remarkable new book, One Thing, Rediscover a Simpler Faith in Our Complicated World. In this timely book, Pastor Dudley invites you to open your Bible and look closely at seven key passages of scripture where you'll find the beautifully uncomplicated phrase, One Thing. These scriptures will quiet all the noise that you're hearing and call you back to a simpler faith. Dudley Rutherford has discovered the secret of how to focus our lives on the one thing that matters. What if you could find that simplicity? It's waiting out there, and this is your roadmap to freedom. Contact Lift Up Jesus today and get your copy of One Thing, the book that could finally change everything.
1: I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us tomorrow at this same time as we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.